I mean, it's kind of cute, right? Hello, and welcome back to Kinda Cute, and if you are new here, welcome. My name is Bailey Evan, I'm your host, and on Kinda Cute, we discuss articles from The Cut and my general pop culture musings. Guys, right before I started recording, I watched Lil Nas X's new uh, music video called Industry Baby, and it just got me pumped up. I stand by the fact that I think Lil Nas, Megan Thee Stallion, Sweetie, Doja Cat, they are like pumping out the best music videos of the year of the decade honestly like I really enjoyed it so if you need a little pump up moment this morning and you're not getting that from kind of cute may I suggest industry baby (laughs) I saw my friends from college this past weekend and I love hanging out with my friends because although I do have social anxiety and I would love to kind of just never have to interact with anyone, whenever I'm around my friends, it reminds me that, you know, people are great. That is like, we are meant to be here for human connection. But see, that's why I love this podcast because I can feel like I'm getting human connection while I literally sit in bed in an empty room with just my dog and I, my dog and me. Oh, guys, you would think by 32, I would have that sorted out. I just, I mess it up every time. But anyways, they were telling me some really interesting things. First off, they alerted me to this Cheesecake Factory cult, which honestly, I might need to do like a little episode on that because I feel like it hasn't been explored much in the podcast realm. The last articles about it that were really popularized were in 2017, but it is my understanding that this is still very much alive and well. So that's just a little a little palette wetter, if you will, uh, because I haven't done enough research in it to like really get into it, but I would love to speak about it. Do like a quick Google, but don't get too into it so you know you can save yourself for when I want to talk about it. <laughs> and then they also alerted me to the fact that they said that if you are born in California, your umbilical cord is saved and like there's nothing you can do about it. Like this umbilical cord just goes off to this... I don't know, warehouse and you don't have a say in it and it's kept there. So I just did not buy this. I was like, guys, no way is that a a thing. And okay, so after doing a little research on it, this is like what I have come to understand. So there is um, a big push in California to do research on the blood and umbilical cords because California is very ethnically diverse, so the donor cells that they can get from it are really helpful in medical research. And there was a law that was signed in 2010, which allowed California to create an umbilical cord bank, and then there's a $2 fee on all the California birth certificates that goes to help support this bank, umbilical cord bank. But, and maybe it was different, like when my friend was born, Obviously, that was before 2010, but nowadays you have the option of donating it to a public bank for research. You can save the core blood for your own family by banking with a private bank, and that would entail you know, fees for storing it like you would if you were storing your eggs, or you can just have it treated as medical waste and it'll be thrown away. But does anyone else have any like intel into that? I, I don't know. I just like, no way. I'm like, how would they fit? every single baby that's born in California, how would they store all of their umbilical cords? But I think it's also they're focused on the blood from the umbilical cord. I don't know, guys, that just blows my mind. That's like some freaky shit that they're going to be using those umbilical cords to like preserve people in the future. I don't know. I just think, (laughs) I think there could be something brewing there. 
Um, but actually, I also think it's great for medical, legit medical research. Um, okay, moving on. I haven't applied to be on a reality show in a very long time. I've mentioned it briefly on here before, but when I was in law school, Elena and I were like in serious talks with this MTV producer about um, a reality show that was about long distance best friendships um, and nothing came of it. But I know I've talked about it here because I, I told you guys how a couple months later she followed up and she's like, I have this other show where, you know, it's about always a bridesmaid, never a bride. And at that point, I don't think I had any friends get married. And now I'm just like, honestly, I haven't been a bridesmaid that often. I'm a little like, I feel like I've kind of missed out on that uh, realm of my life. I've only been a bridesmaid a couple times. I was not a, I am not a serial bridesmaid, but I'm flattered. She thought I had so many close friends that I was always a bridesmaid and not the bride. And clearly I'm still not the bride. And this was back when I was in law school. I was like a 2L. So like eight years ago, uh, (laughs) Anyways, that was like my last foray into reality TV world. Uh, But I saw, I was just happened to be looking at Connie Britton's Instagram. And Connie Britton also went to Dartmouth, fun fact. So she posted this thing. It says, now casting single women for a new docuseries from executive producer Connie Britton. Are you an unpartnered woman at a pivotal crossroads or transitional point in your life do you want to pursue a dream like buying a house and starting a family perhaps without a romantic partner involved do you feel like single women are not accurately represented in pop culture and then it goes on about how uh connie Britton's, you know partnered with this film company that's going to be on a premium streaming service and it will follow single women from around the country who are at a crossroads or transition in their life. It says, if you're an unmarried woman by choice or by happenstance, who's tired of the emphasis always being on finding a romantic partner and who's willing to offer a fuller, more nuanced view of the varied economic, social, sexual, professional, and daily challenges and rewards of adulthood lived outside of traditional marriage, we'd like to hear from you. Um, so I was just like, honestly, like, why not? Like, I have some shit to say. I felt like the timing of this was funny because... I saw this kind of right after my episode where I was talking about how I think that we put so much emphasis on celebrating things that are traditionally reserved for your typical coupled couple. And we don't give a lot of credence to single women in America. So I was like, oh my God, I I can't like talk the talk and then not apply for this show. I mean, I will never get cast for this. And honestly, I don't really have a pivotable pivotable I don't have a pivotal moment coming up in my life as far as I know but I did talk on it about how like on the little application it was literally like a google doc it was not very high tech I was like yeah like I would really love to stop being a lawyer and just be a podcaster full-time so that would be a great life transition and I said you know I am I always am kind of thinking about freezing my eggs but I straight up put I was like you know I think about it but then I'm like I'd rather spend that money on a nose job and I'll just be straight up with you guys like I really would I mean a nose job is forever who knows if I would even use my frozen eggs is that morbid is that like so vain and shallow maybe but that's just I'm being honest with you and on top of that I don't need anyone to say like I don't need a nose job I I have wanted a nose job since I was five years old. Like since I had a concept of what a nose job is, I wanted a nose job. And part of it's because do you hear this nasally ass voice? Do you know how like maybe like crystalline it would sound on here if I didn't constantly have like 
a fucking, I don't know, a narrow ass clogged up nose, maybe it wouldn't be any better. But in my mind, it would be. And I'm not saying, though, that I just want to do it for medical reasons. Like, I want to do it for looks, too. Don't get it twisted. Um, Because I realize the things that I love spending money on the most are the things that actually last forever. I mean, there's so few things that you can do to your body that last forever. A tattoo, um, laser, which is kind of like debatable that it's forever. But I mean, kind of. Oh, LASIK eye surgery. Those are the things that I'm just like, I never regret spending my money on. So as long as my nose job wasn't fully botched, I would much rather spend my money on that than on my eggs. And to be also fully transparent with you guys, I do not have any money to be getting a nose job either. Like I can barely afford my Botox habit. Um, So <laughs> just keep that all in mind. Um, <laughs> if anyone has any intel on the Connie Britton dating show though, please like let me know. Are you like happening to be associated with it and have some intel I'm available please um clue me in but again I would be the most boring person on reality tv I think I've said this on here before like I am too conflict averse I live I feel like I'm just so normal and maybe everyone thinks that but like I am just not drama doesn't follow me I I just live my life a lot of it's just in my house so I mean, if the Connie Britton producers happen to be listening to this, I can really pump it up if you need me to. But I just I know that my life is a little bit too stable is maybe the wrong word, but just it just kind of plods along. I don't know. You know, the the spiciest thing in my life is probably this podcast, if, if we're being transparent. Poor Kenzie. She got her wisdom teeth out this week and she is really struggling. That's why she's not around. She's had so many things going on. I don't know if I mentioned on here, but she has a new job. She's going to be a teacher. She's going to teach Latin full time. She was doing like private tutoring through a school, but now she's going to be a Latin teacher, which is her dream. And she just had a lot going on and then she got her wisdom teeth out. And so that's, again, she's been so sporadically on because of that. And I keep, I keep recording before she's even awake. Um, I've, I'm not going to do like a weekly Gossip Girl recap, but things keep happening on it that I just kind of want to bring up. First of all, Kinsey and I like turn to each other at the same time and notice this. There's no way that Julian Calloway would be the it girl that she is and only have lobe piercings. Now, I'm not trying to pat myself on the back as someone with 12 ear piercings, but it is like the cool girl thing to do. I'm not saying mine are the cool girl kind. I just like you, you can't deny it if you are like, a privileged New York child, you probably have multiple piercings, just putting it out there. So, and especially if you're like into the fashion scene, which Julianne's character is, uh, and she only has lobe piercings. So I just felt like that was a little inaccuracy that maybe they need to have a scene where she's at um, Maria Tosh getting, you know, some piercings. I think that would really tie everything in. Um, The other thing about it was in this past episode, there was a cameo by Jeremy Harris, Jeremy O'Harris, who is very famous for doing Slave Play. It was like the most Tony nominated play of all time. And he's super young. I, he just finished like his creative writing degree at Yale in 2019. But it was cool because in this last episode, they had it where he like is debuting a new show, a new 
off-Broadway show. And like for the, I was looking him up afterwards and for the TV show, he actually like created this real play to like take place. And I was just like, wow, that's like why I think he's shot up so quickly. Like he just has this insane like willingness to go all in for something. And he also co- was the writer you know how I was saying there was a gay black writer of Zola and obviously a black woman director well he was the gay black writer of um Zola which again I saw a couple weeks ago it was so good please go see it so I just loved that they had a cameo from him and the way they incorporated this like kind of fake play that now may be a real play into the show um This is just a random thought I had that I needed to share with you guys and wanted your input on. Can we bring back the power hours? Is this just a strictly like of my age thing? Like I went to college between 2007 and 2011 and we were into a power hour with beer. So you would get a little shot glass. I always had the like cheap plastic neon ones, which I don't even know where I got them from. I guess the liquor store. And I would use those and we would use Keystone Light, which was our beer of choice. And you would put on a YouTube video and it would be it would be called like a power hour playlist. And my favorite were obviously the pop ones. And it would cycle through. And each minute the song would change. And each minute on the minute you had to take a shot of beer. And the thing about this game is like, it's just so delightful. Like you're literally just taking shots, but I love listening to music in one minute increments. And this just, it was so fun. And a lot of times I feel like I would just do it like with my roommate and it wouldn't even be (laughs) in a party scene. And I'm sorry, again, I think I've probably talked about this on here, but I'm really determined to bring this back. And I think I might need to do one this weekend. Maybe that's how I should help Kenzie with her wisdom teeth pain. Just bring back the power hour, see how it goes. I'm personally excited. (laughs) All right, we can finally get to our first article, which is actually a GQ article. It's from a couple weeks ago, and I'm not going to go super deep into this because I haven't watched Ted Lasso yet, and this is a Jason Sudeikis article. It's called Jason Sudeikis is Having One Hell of a Year by Zach Barron. So I feel like a little bit of a fraud because I haven't watched Ted Lasso yet, and I feel like it's just so universally loved. And part of the reason I haven't watched it is because I can't figure out, I, I don't think there is a way because of these stupid like brand wars for me to cast Apple TV onto my Chromecast, which is what I use on my TV. So because of that, I'm like not wanting to watch it on my little ass phone screen. I just haven't seen any Apple TV shows. And I signed up for the free subscription, which is honestly probably almost done. And I haven't watched a single Apple TV show. So if anyone has tips on how I can watch it on my Chromecast or like to hack a way around that, let me know. Um, So again, this article came out 10 days ago, so you might have heard some of it already, but I wanted to touch on some parts of it that really stood out and struck me. And the first part is that he says there's a great Michael J. Fox quote. Don't assume the worst thing is going to happen because on the off chance it does, you'll have lived through it twice. So why not do the inverse? And I really try to live by this quote, but I invariably fail because I think I might be a pessimist at heart. Like I walk through life trying to be the ultimate optimist. I have my little manifestation journal. I try to center my thoughts. I try to think that the best will happen to me. But that is not necessarily who I was born as. I have to fight the pessimism a little bit. 
Um, but I really do think going through life in this way helps. And I am such a warrior and I stress so much. Really, it's only about like work stuff or like social anxiety stuff, which, you know, are all kind of tied up in one. A lot of it is just general anxiety. Um, and I can find myself falling in that trap of like worrying so much about what may happen that it's like, why? Like you, it's, it's not even here yet. It's hasn't happened. Why are you getting into that? So I think that's something we can all, you know, learn from. So thank you, Jason, for that wisdom. Thank you, Michael J. Fox. Okay. To start, these are some of the facts that I was not aware of, but maybe they are common knowledge. So First off, I didn't know that Jason had originally done a similar SNL sketch about a football coach who was hired to be a soccer coach in England, and that was sort of the birth of Ted Lasso. I did not know that. I did not know that he grew up outside Kansas City in Kansas. He described himself as a full jock with thespian tendencies. We just got a regular old Troy Bolton on our hands, it sounds like. His uncle is George Went, who played Norm on Cheers. I didn't know that. I didn't know he was technically like a little nepotism baby, but go off. And this is actually one of my favorite facts of the entire article. It says, Sudeikis had gone to community college on a basketball scholarship but failed to keep up his grades and eventually left school to pursue comedy. Okay, that's not the fun part, but hold on. For a while, he said his sincere aspiration was to become a member of the Blue Man Group. He got close. They flew me out to New York, he said. That was August of 2001, right before 9-11, and I got to see myself bald and blue. In the end, he wasn't a good enough drummer. I mean, can you imagine the life path if Jason Sudeikis had just been a Blue Man? And another question I have for you guys. <laughs> Sadly, these questions always come up to me when I'm speaking and not before, so I can't look them up, but... Are there a lot of blue men who have gone on to be famous actors or are they just like kind of doomed to be blue men forever? How do they recover from that? Are, is their skin like constantly dyed a little bit blue? Like when they get off work and they go on a date, are they a little like <laughs> a little blueberry-ish, a little Willy Wonka-esque? Okay, and then I also learned about his dating history. His first public relationship was with January Jones, and he said that was sort of like a trial by fire, learning about what it was like to be in a really public relationship. And then in a 2010 GQ article, fittingly, he was confronted about dating Jennifer Aniston, which I don't know if he actually did or did not. He responded that she should be so lucky. And he says, and obviously I'm fucking joking, you know, <laughs> but back then he treated interviews like improv. And he said the other thing people tend to get wrong about him is that he was in a fraternity or that he would be, which I told he definitely gives off the fratty boy vibes, but he just does. I mean, I can't deny it. He looks like he'd be a Sperry wearing little chubby shorts, you know, ugh, bleh, hate those. <laughs> and then people were telling them that him, that he is a lot like Ted Lasso because he would go around kind of saying like, I feel like Ted's the best of me. And everyone was like, no, like he really is you. And so apparently he's very cute and endearing. And I love that. I would happily like fill the Olivia Wilde shaped void. I know I would never be the chosen one, but I'm just, again, putting it out there, putting it in the universe. And he is aware of the concept Oh, no, I'm sorry. If you are aware of the concept of the show, you will understand why people are pointing out that this oddly mirrors his breakup with Olivia Wilde in some ways. Uh, it's a very art imitating life, life imitating art. And 
he makes it clear in this article that the basic conceit for Ted Lasso was actually planned out years ago and it was with Olivia. So he was at dinner with Olivia around 2015 and she was the one who encouraged him to explore whether Ted Lasso could be more than just an SNL bit. And Olivia was like, you should do it as a show. And they got to talking about it and they were trying to figure out why Ted would move in the first place to England to coach a team he had no reason to coach. And what they came up with was maybe he's having marital strife and that's things weren't good at home. So he needed some space and they kind of settled on that at this dinner. And that's what the show ended up being about. So really it was just a weird universe incident that he ends up breaking up with Olivia Wilde and then he is in England filming this show because it was filmed in England so it's just again it's a very odd art imitating or yeah life imitating art I guess Um, and then really the part that I really wanted to share with you guys because I think it it clears up a lot of questions that I personally had of his Golden Globes acceptance speech where he was looking a hot mess wearing a little tie-dye hoodie he just seemed high like I think if we were to go back and look at the episode where I was talking about the Golden Globes my guess was that he was high but I also pointed out I think a lot of it had to do with the fact that because of the time change it was very late in London and so he clears this up for us he says that Tom Ford had sent over a suit for him to wear and he had tried it on and he felt ridiculous so he changed out of it into a tie-dyed hoodie made by his sister's clothing company He says, I wore that hoodie because I didn't want to fucking wear the fucking top half of a Tom Ford suit. I love Tom Ford suits, but it felt weird as shit. I was neither high nor heartbroken. It was just late at night and he didn't want to wear a suit. (laughs) So I'm so glad that's cleared up for all of us, honestly. All right, we're finally to our first cut article of the day. So this is how TikTok knows so much about you by Mia Mercado. Again, you know I love my Mia articles. I'm still sad. I don't know why Sanjita hasn't been around as much. And first of all, before we get into this, if you are not yet on TikTok, can you please get on it? Follow me at Bailey Evan. Send me cute TikToks of dogs. I love watching those, especially if it's Pomeranian getting a bath. All of the Pomeranians on TikTok always look so at peace, which is so different than my experience. But yes, please, please follow me. Send me cute shit. So people are trying to figure out exactly how TikTok and its algorithm work. This has been a point of contention, I feel like, since TikTok came to be because people are like, this is too creepy. It's too targeted. How do they know these weird niche things about me? So the Wall Street Journal looked at how TikTok's algorithm works and why it feels hyper-specific. And I have to say that this study confirms what I already thought. So It's not like this is groundbreaking, but I'm just telling you this in case maybe you're like a little worried. And obviously all these things track your fucking data. I'm not saying like let your guard down. I'm just saying that maybe it's not as, you know, spy big brothery as we think. So the way the journal went about this experiment is they took 100 automated accounts, aka bots, and they gave them identifiers like age, location, gave them a few interests. And then each bot would watch hundreds of thousands of videos. And they would either rewatch videos or they would stay on TikTok certain ones longer that fit into its preferred content that matched up with its interests. And again, that's, I'd say, is a pretty a reasonable <laughs> way of how most humans imbibe TikTok. 
And the study found that TikTok was able to pick up on the bot's habits and interests in between 40 minutes and two hours of content use, which if you've ever gone down a TikTok black hole, you know that can happen very quickly. I mean, it is so easy to waste two hours on there. Now, what the study found, and again, I don't think this is groundbreaking, but the thing, the factor that matters the most is how is watch time, how long you watch a video and if you watch it in full and if you rewatch it or if you scroll past it very quickly once it comes on. YouTube uses the same sort of algorithm. Watch time is really important on YouTube. And maybe this is not interesting to you if you're not in like the social media world at all, but it's watch time to me is interesting because sometimes you will watch something for longer not because it necessarily aligns with your interests but because something someone says is so shocking or out of the realm of what you're used to that you stay on it longer to figure out what's going on or people will use specific tactics to get you to stay on a video longer like they won't they bury the lead basically so People learn how to do that on these social media things and they use that to their benefit to kind of game the algorithm. But again, I just, that confirms me like that that's very accurate. However, that does not confirm to me how we get such hyper specific things as like, there was this one where this guy was like, when you hear your neighbor playing mariachi music and he's like, at first you're annoyed and then you're just like bopping to it. And I'm like, does everyone have a neighbor that plays mariachi music? Because I do. Like he plays, Mar- I'm surprised you can't hear it right now because the wall I'm sitting on is like right next to my neighbor's house. And I love it. Like it's a bop. I go outside, I hear that mariachi music and I'm like, I love it. Like it's just, it puts me in a good mood. But I didn't think that was a universal experience. And I'm like, how did TikTok think to suggest that to me? I just, I don't, it blows my mind a little bit. Okay, not to give you guys two TikTok articles in a row, but I feel like we need a kind of a closure moment on this or just a re, you know, a re-up on it since we discussed it before. So this is called Woman Who Taught Us About Chugi Regrets It. And she apparently, her name's Hallie Kane. And she apparently posted a TikTok that said, if you didn't know, I posted a TikTok that introduced the word world to the word chuggy. And I've got to live with that now. That's my life. I've got to watch girls call black leggings chuggy. I have to live knowing that I gave them the verbiage to do that. Now, it's my understanding that it wasn't Hallie who originally originated the word chuggy, but her video on TikTok went very viral. Now, what was really struck me about this is that I tried to go find Hallie's original TikTok where she was saying this. Her TikTok is like Webkin's Whore 143, I believe. I'm going off memory because I failed to write it down. Yeah. Oh, no, I did. Webkin's Whore 143. I was right. Uh, (laughs) Which, interesting. I was more of a Neopets whore, but, you know, do you. Uh, And apparently she saw someone calling Lululemon pants chuggy and she was like, I just cannot deal with like $100 yoga pants being called chuggy. I have like one pair of Lululemons and I just, I don't really think they're worth it. I have way more leggings I like more. I got them on sale and they're actually like SoulCycle branded because SoulCycle had this big sale. So I just got them for comfort and like lounging around the house. The They're those really popular line ones and like they are really soft but they're not performance leggings like I I wouldn't want to do any sort of workout in them they're really only good for like a restorative yoga or like a light pilates um 
And honestly, like my thighs rub together and chafe the inside of them, which is why they probably said they don't like fat people wearing their. That was the other reason for a while. I've talked about that on here before that I don't. I never wanted to buy stuff from them because I'm like, that's just so fucked up that you like think that your things are only for certain body types. And now I feel like they're trying to be so inclusive and like show more plus size or like mid-size models. But I'm just like, okay, I think I'm kind of done buying from, I say that, but then I'm like, watch, I'm going to get so much more Lululemon stuff. And actually my sister has a, a little fanny pack that our friends got her from Lululemon and it's really cute. Like their stuff is cute. I, I mean, Anyway, I'm sorry. I don't mean to be like going into a Lululemon rant, but this, her point was just like, it, it's just gone too far when something like black leggings is being considered chuggy. And this cut article again says that chuggy is a nicer term, less judgmental, less critical than the word basic. But I took issue with that the first time I talked about chuggy. I don't think that's necessarily the case. I think, again, anything that's sort of shitting on stuff that women like, maybe not great, you know, but at least this woman who reported it, she's like regretting it. I'm hoping that Chugi kind of goes out of style. I'm just kind of already over the word. Um, it's, it's past its time already in my mind. So it's basic. Like, let's just, again, I'm guilty of saying both, but because I am, I am a basic hoe. Like I love stuff that other people like, and there's nothing wrong with that. Don't make me go on my rant again about why pop culture is important, guys. I was also going to cover a cover story from The Cut about how adopting dogs has gotten so cutthroat, especially in metropolitan areas like Chicago and New York City. But honestly, the article just kind of depressed me and I just it made me feel icky. And my college friends that I talked to this past weekend, they were talking about what a nightmare it was adopting a dog. And they lived in San Francisco at the time. And they were just like, it was such a struggle. So I realized that this stuff was going on, but yeah, this article is like kind of making everyone in a bad light. Like the rescuers, the, the people making the decisions, the the people trying to like adopt dogs and how it became like the status symbol thing. And I don't know, it was just a lot. It was a long thing. I read the whole thing, but instead I thought I just wanted to get into, um, a history of spring break as our deep cut article of the week. So This is an article from The Cut back from March 11th, 2014. This was right before I was about to graduate law school. So fittingly, this was actually my last spring break ever of life. Um, And I had gone to Key West and it was a complete shit show. And I was horrified by this article. So naturally, I had to share it with you. Um, The lead-in photo is someone, a girl like in a wet, t-shirt contest on a stage and these men just ogling her and so this article cites the first spring break as 1935 when a swimming coach at Colgate University brought his team down to train in Fort Lauderdale during spring break and I love that Florida is sort of the birthplace of spring break that feels right to me And then in 1958, an English professor overheard students talking about a trip to Fort Lauderdale yet again. And the professor went with the students and he wrote a book called Where the Boys Are. And then it was turned into a hit movie and a song. And then within a year of that coming out, 50,000 students flocked to Fort Lauderdale. Because I've always kind of wondered how certain places in Florida really became such like spring break places and to this day Fort Lauderdale is such a huge spring break destination 
And then the first tan butt cheek. It says that in 1974, a PR man in Louisiana introduced a version of the Brazilian Tongas made from cotton, denim, and crochet. And he took a model on a local media tour and she would drop the dress and, you know, expose her Tongas. Um, and the exposed behind became a spring break stable. I don't know how true that is, but okay. And then the first wet t-shirt contest happened allegedly in 1975, where again, in, in Louisiana, I, I love that it's like Florida and Louisiana really like coming through with these things. Um, and it had the first commercial wet t-shirt contest and there were prizes of $75 for the winning woman. Um, and then... In 1986, that was when MTV began to broadcast their famous spring break special from Daytona Beach. Again, Daytona Beach is somewhere like I've like avoided like the plague. I'm sorry if you're from Daytona Beach. I think I've only driven through there. I have no desire to go there. I don't really know why people go there. But actually, I do. I think it was because it was popularized by MTV. Otherwise, I'm not sure Daytona Beach would be the spring break uh, destination that it is. And apparently, also fun fact, the 86 Spring Break special was the first time the word Woody had been used on television. It says the directors in the booth had the camera guys scope out girls taking off their shirts. Little did they know there was a live feed going out across America. Oh, it's so disgusting. Like, why? And then the first Spring Break planned city they cite as Cancun back in 1988, my birth year. It says it was leveled by a hurricane and then it was purposely rebuilt into a spring break mecca. And now they host more than 30,000 spring breakers annually, which actually I'm surprised it's not more than that. Um, the first flavored condom also came out in 1988. Wow. I mean, you got Bailey and flavored condoms. What more could you ask for? But apparently they didn't get big until 1995, which is actually Kenzie's birth year <laughs> when that's when they came out with... Um, more flavors so they just had mint in 1988 but then they got strawberry apple and banana and sales were particularly high in the south central region including florida because of course they were now this is another reason that daytona became popular because in the 1980s fort lauderdale erected a wall that separated the beach from the road and actually i noticed that that like kind of wall they have when I it's short it's not like a it's not a huge wall but it just is kind of different than a lot of other Florida beaches because it's not um it's not cut off by like foliage it's cut off by this kind of just wall and there's a still a straight view but I always wondered why that's there but apparently that's when they made open containers illegal they raised the drinking age and so many spring breakers by 1985 started going up to Daytona Beach um, and then Daytona Beach got sick of it by 1989. They started cracking down on the bars and clubs. So that's when people moved to Panama City Beach, another place I just kind of <laughs> never go to. It's also far away. It's up in the panhandle. So it's like really far from where I live. Um, but I've always wondered why that was such a top place and to this day. It attracts 500,000 partiers annually. And at the same time, when this kind of like migration was happening, people also went to Texas's South Padre Island, Cancun and Negril, Jamaica. The first wild girls happened in 1977 when Joe Francis started his, you know, video series of women exposing their breasts. And of course, that also started in, you guessed it, Fort Lauderdale. 
Um, and then obviously this article was written in uh, 2014, so it featured um, the spring break du jour, if you will, from Total Frat Move, which is Total Frat Move still a thing? That was like so big back when I was in college, and it was just so sexist and gross. Um, so I just kind of wonder, I'm sure it is still around today, but <laughs> it lists things out. It says, drink, doesn't matter as long as someone else is buying them. The contest du jour is trying not to black out before your friends do dot, 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 LOL. Amateur moves include getting iced, getting pregnant, and SPF over 20. Ugh, definitely wear SPF over 20, guys, especially if you're in Florida. Our UV rates are very high, UV indexes. Expert move. A laminated card with my name and local actress on it for help getting home. Oh, God. Reading material. Tinder. Oh, Lord. I don't know. I know it's not spring break time, but when I just saw all the Florida connections in this, you know I couldn't pass it up. I just thought it was a nice little deep cut for the day. All right. We've made it to our legit shit. So the reason I thought to include these is because I got these sandals right before I went to Europe. They're called the Sorel Kinetic Sandal. I'm not trying to bury the lead. Um, if you want to go Google them right now or click on the show notes for the link. I got them right before I left and they are very comfy. They're cute. They're kind of Tiva-esque, which I would never be caught dead in a Tiva just because it's not my personal style. But these are kind of an elevated version of that, if you will. They have a little cool platform with like this squiggly heel. They come in so many fun colors. I just got a boring black, but I like the black and white on it. And I love the colored ones. My favorite one is like the white with the little neon things. But just give them a, just give them a little look-see. I think they're very ugly cute. And I, like I said, I was thought of including these because my friend Anna ordered a pair and she really likes hers. But she did alert me to one problem that I want to share with you guys. If you have very small ankles or very narrow feet, the Velcro strap might not, it might be too like not enough velcro to adequately strap it on your ankle so i have neither i have wide feet and cankles so this was not an issue for me but i just wanted to alert you to that but when she sized down she says they fit perfectly and she loves them Anna, what color did you get you didn't tell me what color you got um but yeah check them out again link in the show notes thank you guys for listening as usual please just share this with a friend like me, like me, uh, follow me on Instagram at Bailey Evan or at kind of cute podcast. Please, please, please give me a written review on Apple podcasts or even just a five-star rating, but ideally both. Oh, also I wanted to tell you guys, I think sometimes you guys will like share, um, like a, a, a post from kind of cute in your stories, but I want to let you know, unless you tag at kind of cute podcast or at Bailey Evan, I won't be able to see it. I can't, see when you guys just share a post so I didn't want you to think I'm ignoring you like I just literally can't see it if you don't actually at kind of cute podcast or at Bailey Evan again thank you guys for listening I hope you have an amazing week and I will see you next week we're almost at our 100th episode oh and as I was saying on my Instagram this is officially two years of kind of cute podcast it just turned two on July 21st so thank you guys if you've been here for all two years or if you just joined. Thank you so much. I'll see you next week. Bye.